Welcome everyone to Heroes of Gaming, the podcast channel that talks of the people who make the games we love. This week, our hero is a studio manager and a senior creative director at Zynga, but those on top of the mountain didn't fall there. He's earned the legendary prestige we all know him from by creating some of the most successful arcade games and influential sports titles in video game history, such as Smash TV, NFL Blitz, and the iconic hit NBA Jam. Along with those glass-shattering triumphs, he has worked as a coder, lead programmer, and of course, game designer, contributing to the catalog of great games from the Apple II, Atari 2600, Activision, Hasbro, and from downtown here in Chicago, Midway Games. His track record of success cements his status as a video game pioneer time and time again. In fact, one might say that he's on fire! Mark Turmel, thank you for being here. Well, that's that's quite the intro. Uh, thank you so much. I feel like um, almost like the grandfather of video games, you know, kind of looking back from the start uh, till today, it's been quite the journey. So starting out at the beginning, I read that you taught yourself how to code. Is that? Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was like 15 years old and uh, the Apple II computer had just uh, come out. Uh, first, I started with a basic uh, programming language, then realized that didn't have enough, you know, kind of performance to put nice visuals on the screen. Uh, and so I learned assembly language, uh, which is what um, was eventually used on all of the not only Apple II games, but the Atari VCS and Commodore 64s and, uh, and then the coin-op games, NBA Jam, things like that were all in assembly language. It wasn't until um, NFL Blitz came out that um, I did that in the C programming uh, language. Uh, and, um, you know, you needed to be high performance in those, those early days because the hardware just couldn't handle, you know, enough stuff on the screen. Right, right. And, and how do you learn coding without the Internet? What, what is the... Is it yeah, yeah, well, you're right. It's actually kind of a funny story. Um, in the early days, and we're talking in the, uh, in the 80s, right, the early 80s, right. uh, there were magazines that uh, inside the magazine, somebody would write an article and they would literally paste the code uh, line by line of like, okay, this is how I made, you know, something uh, blink on the screen. And so you would literally type in the, um, the lines of code and, you know, save them. My first computer, the Apple II, you would save out to a cassette player. You know, you would hit, you know, record. And then when you wanted to load it back in, you would hit play and it would, you know, load it in. So you would uh, actually type in these little programs. And in those days, there weren't that many games. I mean, there were maybe 20, 30, 40 games and on the Apple II. And you could kind of break into the, the game and kind of halt it. And then you kind of list and kind of show the commands. And, and so it was kind of learning in that fashion uh, and uh, just, you know, absorbing the magazines. Because wow. that's, that's where the snippets were. Right, right. And your first game that you made was called Sneakers? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Sneakers was, uh, was my first game. Uh, that came out in, uh, I believe, 1980. Mm -hmm. I was uh, just a young teen. You know, I think I ended up making about $10,000 a month in royalty checks. I didn't even know the value of a dollar. You know, I was mowing lawn for, for you know, five bucks. Wow. And then I uh, started getting that to that kind of money. Uh, my parents must have been freaking out when I kind of think back on it. Like, what is he doing in the basement? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. And, and yeah. it's, like a, it's like a Space Invaders uh, type game. Is that where you got your influence from? Yeah. So in that era, there were, uh, you know, going to the arcade was super exciting because there was often a new game. Uh, and there was a game that had come out uh, called Gorf from uh from Bali mm -hmm. and it was actually the first uh game that had some uh a voice sample in it you know like the wow. character I don't remember what he said but you know would yell or scream or something and uh but it was kind of a you know a shooter you could you know go left and right and so I kind of got the idea to do um you know a game that a la Space Invaders or Gorf where you kind of right. shoot up in the air 
and then just kept creating little, um, you know, waves of bad guys, wow. you know, with different behaviors. And the um, and, and the the pitch. I mean, how how did you send this this game? Oh, yeah, being created. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually made the entire game uh, start to finish. You know, title page. You know, sounds. Uh, and there was a new company around that time called FedEx. And um, <laughs> so uh, I um, I drove out to uh, the airport. I uh, found this FedEx place. And I was in Michigan, Bay City, Michigan is where I grew up. Oh, and Ypsilanti, uh, Michigan for me. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. And um, the um, and so I uh, paid 40 bucks to put it into an envelope and send it out to this company. I didn't know how to copyright or, you know, I just took a took a trust in this company that had a few games that come out, Sirius Software, S-I-R-I-U-S. Uh, they had uh, a game called Space Eggs that was that was big, and um, so I sent it. And then the guy called me the next day, or it took two days for FedEx you know, to get there. <laughs> right. And he called me, and he was like, "Holy cow! You know, let's you know, we're going to sign you up and give you a royalty right now, and uh, we uh, we just need to um, add some copy protection, you know, some disc uh, protection where people just can't copy it." And uh, so uh, they said, um, here, here's what you need to do to, uh, to add that. Uh, and then they started putting it into Ziploc bags and they made, a, you know, they made a package for it and sent it off to the computer land stores and all these kinds of things. And, uh, and then just started sharing in the profits with me. That is fantastic. That is so, that's so exciting. So, um, uh, so then after this big uh, success, did you go right into video games or you went to college to try to learn more? Yeah. About the process? Yeah. So I, I was, um, you know, was already working on my second game. Uh, the first game, they gave me a 25% royalty. The next game was called Beer Run. I had a 28% royalty, started making money on that. Uh, and I had started uh, uh, going to the community college when I was 15 uh, and so I ended up graduating with an associate's degree uh, when I was 18 and went off to um, Ferris State University, which is in Big Rapids, Michigan there. Of course, and yeah. So uh, I was only like 18, but uh, went there uh, and started, uh, uh, went through the first semester. And in the middle of the second semester, I had an offer from Sirius to move to California uh, because they were going to get into the Atari 2600 BCS cartridge business. Uh, you know, Activision had, you know, had spawned from uh, Atari and they were killing it. Uh, and uh, so I flew out to uh, Sacramento, uh, 18 years old, kind of just moved, you know, up and moved and um, never looked back. Wow. You know, looked back at school. Wow! Oh, that's incredible. And then the the one of the big games you you eventually uh, made uh, for the Atari Twenty Six Hundred is Fast Eddie. Was that? Yeah, that was my first game. I made a game, yeah. Fast Eddie, uh, that was kind of a um, you know a ladders and you know kind of a Mario Brothers left and right. Mm -hmm. uh, then uh, I did a game called Turmoil, uh, and both of those were uh, were big hits. Uh, selling, you know, uh, I guess it was about a million units uh, in that in that era. Uh, they only took about, uh, you know, six or eight weeks to develop. Uh, you know, those games only had like uh, 128 bytes of RAM and you know, 4K or 8K oh EPROM. <laughs> so it, it it didn't it wasn't much, but you know, you could jam a lot of uh, fun into that. And I loved the Atari VCS, the the joysticks and whatnot. And uh, so I thought that was the, um, you know, I thought it was the future. I, you know, it was, uh, it was the Atari 2600 was really on fire. You know, developers yeah. were trying to get into it, but there weren't that many. Uh, eventually, uh, Activision hired, um, hired us. There were a few young, you know, young kids in the same boat as, as myself. Uh, and they started a design center there in, in Sacramento. Uh, and because there were so few uh, designers or engineers on this stuff, I remember uh, they would fly us to CES, at, you know, January and summer CES. And we all had to be on different flights 
because they were afraid, like if the plane crashed, <laughs> you know, like it would ruin, <laughs> they their, all, their, yeah, it would ruin their business. So it was that kind of crazy. And, um, uh, and then of course, you know, the video games, uh, you know, crashed and died, you know, shortly thereafter, we literally thought video games might be a fad. Wow. Uh, like, you know, not here to stay. And, uh, I remember, uh, I don't know if you've heard this story, but it's, it's a pretty, uh, it's pretty entertaining, but ugly story for me. When I was, uh, you know, 18, 17, 18, I got invited to Steve Wozniak's uh, wedding. Right. Uh, and, you know, he was one of the you know, co-founders of Apple with Jobs. Right. And I thought, well, this is weird. I mean, why am I being invited? But I went out to Los Gatos is where um, he was having, you know, up in the hills of in San Jose area and the Bay Area, had this uh, wedding party. And so I get up there, I drive, uh, I bought a new uh, red Porsche with some of my money i drive up into these hills and uh and it's a big it's like a big event you know hundreds of people and so i uh, just started you know wandering around and and wasn't sure why i was there eventually i met him and uh he came up and he said hey the reason i invited you and others uh, is uh, i wanted to um you know kind of uh, honor the burgeoning apple community of you know developers and you know, these people that are publishing software and making things. Wow. Uh, he said, I was in a Cessna airplane accident. He was learning how to fly and he broke his leg and he was uh, hospitalized during his, you know, first days of recovery on his leg. And uh, the uh, his staff brought him an Apple II computer and he played some games and said, so I played your game sneakers. Uh, you know, while I was laid up in in uh, the hospital bed, and I really, you know, loved it, and so I wanted to make sure you were here, and so enjoy yourself. Wow! And uh, so I thought, okay, that's great. Now I understand why I'm here, and and so I'm at this party, and uh, this guy walks up to me, and he says, "Mark Tremell." He said, "Bill Gates, uh, love your games, and uh, you know, I, you know, he did Decathlon." Uh, which is, you know, in a flight simulator, you know, that was the first things they did. Yeah. And um, he said, I've started a small company up in Seattle. Would love, ha- love to have you come up and, you know, join us. <laughs> and I said, dude, I said, uh, you know, the Atari VCS is where it's at. I just started making, <laughs> I just started making 2,600 games. And, uh, you know, I'm, this, is, uh, this is the future. What are you doing? And he said, I'm working on Tiny Basic, which is like, a, you know, the programming language. And this is, uh, you know, before DOS, before, you know, they uh, right. signed a contract with IBM and all this. And so, uh, you know, after about a year, I realized, hey, you know, this is <laughs> like maybe a, <laughs> that was maybe a mistake because yeah, the right. game business was began to crash. Um, and then, you know, every, everybody at Microsoft, you know, from the janitor on up, you know, was, uh, you know, became a multimillionaire um, with short order. And so the story kept getting worse and worse as I looked (laughs) over the the years, uh, as they kept, I couldn't even tell that story. I didn't even tell that story for probably 15 years because it was like, oh, what a mistake. Right. Right. uh, But, uh, the funny thing is that, uh, you know, or the interesting thing to think about is had I joined, you know, 15th employee, uh, I would have had some impact on the company. And undoubtedly, it would have been a negative impact because I would have tried to, you know, funnel money to let's keep making games. Right. Let's invest over here. Um, and I would have had, I would have inflected the company and it certainly would have been more negative than what, you know, the positives that happened. And so who knows what, what could have happened? You know, Microsoft, Apple might've dominated them back then, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wow. um, Yeah. It's, you know, I guess what do they call that? The butterfly effect. Yeah, totally. That's such a fascinating one, one choice. And, uh, you know, wow. That's so amazing. Mark, your, your life choices have shaped or not shaped certain huge yeah. huge companies huge entities it's, a, it's yeah a- i mean right around that same time i got a um invite to go have lunch uh in uh san francisco with um 
couple of guys that were starting a new company. And I get to the, uh, to the lunch over in uh, San Mateo and uh, I meet uh, Trip Hawkins and Bing Gordon. Uh, those are the founders of EA. Yeah, EA. And yeah. They, they whipped out this, you know, album cover. You know, they had uh, Bill Budge who was doing this pinball construction set. And uh, they said, hey, we're going we're gonna to totally uh, change the way these designers are represented and how these programmers are represented um, more like, you know, album cover, you know, rock star type things. And they were uh, starting this new company. He asked me to, to join and make a game for them. And uh, I turned them down. I said, no, the VCS is where it's at. <laughs> you know, it's like 4K. Sold. I can do a game in six weeks. And... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But probably six months later, it was difficult to even find work with the video game industry, you know, disintegrating. So what did you guys do? Yeah, so I eventually, when the video game business did fall apart, uh, then uh, I was in Sacramento. I, I was working on a couple of projects, uh, fast tracks, a slot car construction set I did on the Commodore 64, a couple of things like that, Toy Bazaar. Uh, I got a phone call and uh, Tom Zito uh, was a guy uh, in the Bay Area who uh, had founded a group that it was really interesting technology. Uh, it was VHS player that everybody had it in their homes. Right. And they had a piece of hardware that would take each field of um, VHS, you know, data coming in, you know, because there's 60 fields per second, you know, on, a, on video, on tape. And uh, they could encode each field with an ID like track one, track two, track three, track four, back to track one, track two. So you could have reduced frame rate, but they had this, you know, kind of frame store. They would freeze what was coming in and just keep that frame on the screen until the next ID came in that matched the one they wanted. And so it opened up this new type of style of interactivity. Uh, I started working on a police academy interactive movie we did this night trap where uh, night you, traps pretty famous, yeah. <laughs> yeah, night trap. There were cameras in every room of a you know of a set. I went down there. We could then with a controller on this new device, this new game console, you could switch to different you know cameras, and then that data would come up. So all the data is coming on the VHS tape, but it's just you choose which track to look at. Look at the bedroom. Look at the bathroom. Look at the kitchen. Uh, Sewer Shark was another game. Uh, that uh, had some great effects, you know, kind of Hollywood starting to get into the mix, um, you know, flying down a tunnel, you know, shooting things left and right and branching to that track. So I was really uh, David Crane, you know, uh, Rob Fulop, who did Demon Attack at iMagic, and myself were kind of the game guys inside this, this project. Hasbro uh, funded it. So I was a big um, evangelist for this tech and yeah. this, this entertainment. It's awesome. Uh, but then uh, Hasbro, I, I guess, uh, as I understand it, the chairman of um, Hasbro, uh, Stephen Hassenfeld, he got ill uh, and uh, he came in and said, look, I need to kind of button up the projects that are that were his babies uh, that, uh, you know, he had kind of maybe even gone against the board on, hey, we're going to invest money in this and this. Right. Uh, and so he um, shut down the project. Uh, and that is when uh, I looked at the landscape of the video game business and the NES had already been out for a couple of years and had started to, you know, there were a lot of developers for the NES. Uh, and I went back and I said, well, I've always wanted to do coin-op. And so uh, I instead joined uh, Williams Electronics, uh, which was, you know, Williams Valley Midway eventually mm -hmm. and uh, started... Um, you know, started my coin-op career in Chicago. Wow. So you decided to do that, flew to Chicago, made a home base in Chicago. And is it was one of the, and I read, I read this, I don't know if it's true. It was one of the first hires you made, John Tobias. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. I, I just, John just um, recently left uh, working with me here at, uh, at Zynga. Uh, he's at Warner Brothers now, but he's uh, an incredible talent. And so, um, yeah, John, uh, John was just a young, you know, whippersnapper, you know, <laughs> coming into to, uh, Williams. 
and did some incredible art. When you joined uh, Midway, your first kickoff is this, the hands-on, no-holds-barred, do-or-die adventure, Smash TV. Yeah. This is, this is such an awesome title. I mean, it's like running, yeah. it, it's like running man and, and it's got the RoboCop references and. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love smash TV. So my favorite game of all time is Robotron. Robotron. And, of course. And so, uh, you know, I would play that uh, in the arcades. So I came in, even when I came into interview with Williams uh, and, you know, met, you know, Eugene uh, Jarvis and, you know, a few of the guys, uh, I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to join and revive the dual joystick, you know, mechanic. Uh, because that was, um, you know, I think uh, Robotron came out around 82. And so this is now uh, 89 or 88 when I kind of came into interview. And I said, I want to revive that. And so, uh, you know, I got hired. I came in and they had, I was like a kid in the candy store because they had this uh, hardware that was so strong compared to what I was coming from, like this, this VHS Nemo, the VCS prior to that, right. you know, Commodore 64, all that kind of stuff. And so I could turn on more, you know, sprites, more objects, more bullets on the screen. And I kept, you know, turning more stuff on, more stuff on, trying to bog it out because I knew we needed to be 60 frames a second. Right. Um, and so I just kept trying to bog out the game and I couldn't do it. And uh, so it was, uh, it was an amazing time, just loving the, um, the, the tech, uh, the, uh, the engine. Uh, and we had, uh, it's a small studio, you know, 20, 25 guys, uh, you know, some hardware guys, of course, Mark Lafredo uh, was a genius uh, on the hardware side. Uh, and there were three or four games that, uh, started off because I came in right at the end of NARC. So NARC had right. just shipped. The team was going to, you know, break up and do a few different games. And so I came in at the same time where, okay, you know, we're all going to start, you know, start on new games. Uh, and so there was, um, Trog, uh, was a game. Uh, and so we just uh, started, you know, plugging away and learning, hired Tobias, you know, hired this other uh, programmer from California that I knew, uh, and uh, another couple of artists, and we just started making, having fun. I mean, there's there's only, I mean, what, there's less than 10 people on this team that makes oh, yeah. TV? Yeah, yeah seven or eight. Seven or eight guys, and it's kind of a fun story. The The games had gotten rid of free men like earning a free man every 50,000 points, you know? So I wanted to revive that, you know, have, have that stuff going in, uh, you know, different power-ups. Four or five months into the project, maybe six months into the project, you know, things are good. Mutoid man's great. There's lots of blood, you know? Yeah, I pull, yeah, yeah. pull Eugene in and say, you know, what, you know, what do you think of this? And he'd say, more blood, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, um, but uh, the, uh, the chairman of the board, Luna Castro, he came in uh, to do a tour like he would do once in a while. And he's, he walked around to the, the different games in development. And he said, I'm going to give $40,000 cash to the first guy to finish his game. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was like uh, crazy. That was that kind of set the tone for the competitiveness inside Midway because um, you know, I'd have crash bugs. I, you know, I'm new to the hardware. They'd already made an arc. So I'm asking for help and people are helping me. And then all of a sudden, as soon as the $40,000 is on the table, it's like, well, I, you know, I got, a <laughs> I got a lunch. I can't. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I did the, uh, I did the brilliant move. I went and I knocked on Eugene's door and I said, Hey, Eugene, you know, help me. Let's split this money. You help me finish this thing up. And uh, so he said, okay. And uh, so he, uh, you know, he did uh, the last couple of boss monsters, uh, you know, a couple of the, couple of the mechanics, uh, no doubt was, you know, helping me with uh, the crash bugs that, that I was creating. And uh, so the two of us, you know, finished off the game uh, and got the, got the cash. Wow. Oh my God. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, and the dual, the dual joysticks, uh, that was the first game that I have ever played that uh, arcade that had dual joysticks. Um, and kind of since, I, I, but I think it's absolutely beautiful. Um, 
what was that hard sticking to those guns were people bucking at that yeah you know dual joysticks are definitely at least in that era um it wasn't for everybody right i mean you had to be pretty dexterous i guess yeah, coordinated you know? to yeah pretty coordinated and uh so we actually did another version a kit version where you we had a rotating knob mm -hmm. uh, and you could move around but rotate at the you know this knob uh there was a game i think i carry uh, warriors maybe or something a coin-up game that did that and we thought well let's try that in case you know People prefer that. People didn't prefer it. But um, uh, nowadays, you know, the kids are more, you know, coordinated. Yeah, there's dual uh, and, analogs for everything. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, dual sticks, the, the consoles and whatnot. And, and so Smash TV, um, I think, actually ushered in a lot of uh, the designs and, and from that era. And uh, Smash TV gets a lot of shout outs for, you know, hey, I learned from this game, you know, and totally. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think it holds up. I love smash TV. Uh, then Tobias and I went and did uh, total carnage. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, we had uh, Ed Boone doing the audio for, for general Akboob. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so it's kind of a uh, scrolling smash TV, right. a lot of uh, firepower, the hardware, even better, um, didn't do as well. Uh, and that's when, um, you know, John and, uh, you know, Ed said, Hey, you know what, let's, uh, John's going to come over here and help me. Uh, we want to do this digitized, you know, fighting thing and, uh, digitized graphics were the rage at that point, because, uh, it was just the beginning of the era of, you know, of digital cameras of actually being able to put something real on the screen instead of hand drawn. Right. Uh, there was a game from Atari Primal Rage that was like claymation, you know, dinosaurs. Uh, and there, and NARC had had a couple of digitized images, you know, that style. And so we wanted to um, geek out and learn on, you know, how to do this green screen stuff and how to trim real images, uh, get the uh, the palettes, you know, to be recognizable or, you know, flesh tones and so uh, that's when uh, then I branched off to do NBA Jam. Both Mortal Kombat and NBA Jam mm -hmm. would have a camera. We used Hi8 cameras, and we uh, just recorded people doing moves. Wow. And then uh, and we tried to figure out the green screens and blue screens to try to you Which know easily strip out the background. Mm -hmm. But uh, at the end of the day, basically, an artist was pulling up you know this move. And they would say to me or to add like, hey, how many frames, you know, can I get for a punch or for this dribble? And so we would say, OK, you can have, you know, seven or eight or nine frames. Uh, and so they would take like every, you know, fourth frame out of the video and uh, they would trim the background out, you know, and uh, try to extract that that digital image. Uh, and then give it to us. We have these animation points that would, you know, kind of register frame to frame to frame. So they'd sit on top of each other and do a punch or, you know, do a dribble. And so we, um, we then just made it a tool to be able to play through these animations, these 2D animations, uh, you know, with that low frame rate, you know, wow. maybe seven, eight, nine frames. So it wasn't until we got into 3D where mocap, uh, you know, motion right. capture becomes a thing. Okay. Okay. Thank you. For, thank you for that. That's, that's incredible. And, and Mortal Kombat is more like profile lifelike size, but in NBA jam, the, the, the perspective is, is angled. How did you, yeah. how did you guys, yeah. how were you able to, to, to record that? Yeah. So, uh, we didn't do, we recorded, you know, pure sideways. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, um, with uh we had a programmer sean liptak who's uh who's a real guru uh he um made the court you know skew so it's it would slide faster at the at the front and slower in the back you know to to kind of simulate the 3d-ness even though yeah. it's a 2d game. and then we just took these characters pure side view 
And based on their, their Z depth running in and out, we scale them down. So they, you know, get bigger and, and uh, smaller oh in the distance and would actually, you know, uh, stay in their position on the court. So if you were just pushing straight up, they would kind of angle a little bit because, you know, they're running with the perspective of the, of the game. And uh, so we, um, we just kind of faked all that um, kind of perspective and 3Dness. Wow. Oh, such a talent. That's, that's so talented. It's, it's, it's wild. Um, yeah. Tony Gosky, you know, is still on the Mortal Kombat team today. He was on NBA Jam trying doing a lot of great work on the heads because we had to cut the heads off of our actors and then put, you know, NBA players heads. And then of course right. ourselves uh, onto the, uh, under the bodies. Uh, and, uh, yeah. So a lot of the same guys, I still work today with Jamie Rivette who did, Smash TV on the Super Nintendo wow. and the Nintendo uh, and NBA Jam and NFL Blitz. And, you know, we're working on Harry Potter together today. That's incredible. That's incredible. I, I was hoping that perhaps you could you could share with me a few stories. Um, this this Willie Morris Jr. story. Yeah. 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 Well, What's so when we, when we yeah, when we were going to do, you know, basketball, you know, I love basketball and, and stuff, but I, you know, I could never be an actor for uh, you know, these moves. And uh, so I just started cruising around, uh, you know, Chicago and, you know, kind of the, you know, there's a lot of inner city areas with Y, you know, with, you know, YMCA's and, um, you know, uh, playgrounds. Uh, and so I just would start, you know, hanging out. And then when I'd see a talent, you know, I would approach and, you know, try to, you know, make conversation and tell them what I'm up to and, you know, wow. want extra money. And you're watching, so, so you're watching pickup games. You're just going around watching pickup games for kind of street ball. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Yeah. And I went into the DePaul uh, gymnasium once and uh, I talked to uh, a couple of players that were playing there, Stephen Howard. Uh, and, you know, these guys were college players. And so they were concerned about, you know, uh, you know, of course, any funds that would go to them. So that wasn't uh, that wasn't the right avenue. I had to kind of find players that um, were, um, you know, willing to come in and and uh, you try know, stuff, try I stuff. Mean, and, yeah, and work. So, and so, so really- we, uh, we just we got some uniforms and uh, we put them on a few guys that we found and you know, we blocked out uh, a bunch of categories of moves and uh, said, you know, hey, how would you do this? Of course, we did a lot of dunks. Uh, and Willie Morris Jr. Uh, was really kind of the star of the show. He was super talented, uh, super great to work with um, and, you know, kind of, um, you know, fancied himself as a guy that could replicate, you know, Jordan's moves. You know, and uh, so whether it be, you know, crossovers or between the legs or his dunks, uh, you know, he's a big basketball fan. And so he would, um, uh, you know, he did the majority of probably the moves in the game, uh, even though we had a few actors. Uh, we eventually, you know, um, probably incorporated most of his moves. Wow. Wow. And, uh, and John Newcomber. Um, how was his influence on you? Was it a mentorship that, that he on NBA jam to John, what was John new? He's known for joust the game joust. Yeah. John was there. Uh, he was one of those like, you know, 20 guys or something in the, uh, in the company when I joined, uh, and he had worked, uh, I believe on, um, you know, narc, uh, with the team, and uh, he was one of the guys maybe that had broken off to do another game. I forget what exactly he was up to. Uh, and uh, when, and, but he was kind of um, in the early stages of all the digitized graphics with Jack Hager uh, because they had done this for NARC, you know, mm-hmm. trying to get some digital images uh, onto the screen. And uh, so he was aware of you know, the cameras and kind of the blue screen and what tools there was this, you know, this special Targa hardware that could, you know, freeze the video and, you know, trim things out. So he was um, helping us with kind of that tech side of, okay, uh, here, give me a move. 
you know, here's a guy dribbling the ball. You know, this is how we would trim it out or let's try this. Um, and so it was a bit of a, uh, you know, tool helping ancillary role, uh, not really involved in the actual, um, you know, game design or um, content. Wow. Okay. So you guys make NBA Jam. And is there any doubt in your minds that this game is going to be a massive hit or, or what was the... What was the barometer there? What was the yeah? What was the feeling? Well, you know, I spent a lot of time tweaking, you know, numbers and adding things, and so I was pretty, um, you know, pretty excited about it. But um, I don't know if you've ever heard this story. You know, at Midway, we would always put a game into an arcade. You know, when it's you know eighty percent done, and we would test it, and. So uh, one night, <clears throat> Sal David and I are, you know, they're watching the gameplay. Uh, we had plugged it in Dennis's place on, you know, Clark. It was, it was wintertime and a guy, you know, stepped up to the machine. It's a four player machine. And uh, there's, you know, four joysticks and three buttons per joystick. But we kind of rotated them around so to give a little elbow room on the cabinet. So if you're at player station one, it's a little bit angled this way. Player station four, a little angled this way. So anyway, he, um, uh, but on the bottom, and there's four start buttons. And at the bottom, though, there's a coin door with just two coin slots. There was like a pool of quarters that would go in. So you put your tokens in, and then whatever start button you hit, that's your station. That's your station, right. Right. But so what he did is, you know, he took his jacket off, put some coins in uh, and he hit the start button on station three, boom, 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 you know, and, you know, there's a sound effect and he bought in. And in that game, there's little basketballs light up, like how many periods you've bought. Right. And um, he took his jacket off and then he uh, lined up on station two. And... Uh, and, you know, the way the game works, you know, the, the, you pick your teams, but there's a timeout. So it picks a team for you. And uh, then there's a jump ball where, you know, the, the ball gets tossed and then the action begins. And when you've got three AI players, you know, they're, they're scrambling for the ball. They're running at the ball. And, uh, you know, they sh the logic at the time we had on the AI, you know, they were passing and trying to get open. The AI guys, yeah, and um, and so this guy was at player two, moving his joystick, hitting his buttons, but it's they're, they're not involved in the game. <laughs> and I was so I was like, oh my god, this is a disaster, you know. This the AI is kind of playing itself. And um, so I told Sal, I said, you know, I know we're not supposed to kind of go and interact with these people and stuff, but I'm going to go talk to this guy. So I stepped up to him and I said, hey, excuse me. Uh, I think you're actually player three. See these basketballs up here on the HUD, you know, that indicate that's who you are. And he was like, oh, okay. You know, and he's like kind of embarrassed and he shifted over to player three. And I went back to Sal. I was like, oh my gosh, what a disaster. He started, you know, playing on station three. And after about 30 seconds, he stopped and went back to player two. <laughs> <laughs> And it's very clear that in the uh, games going forward, you guys definitely made changes. So uh, what did you do to avoid that situation again? We created these, uh, you know, bozo boxes and uh, we, um, you know, made players tap through that information. Uh, we colorized, you know, the turbo bars and to your shoe colors. Right. Uh, and we even put in like, you know, arrows for, you know, you are off screen, you know, this is you player two, you know, we, so we went overboard on over communicating, you know, who you were uh, and it was needed, you know, the game is moving so fast, but in addition to that, we also uh, reduced the AI. So if you're an NBA GM and you pass to your, your uh, teammate, who is running around. He's like, you know, he's running left and right. And if you pass to him, all he does now is do a beeline for the hoop to do a simple layup or a dunk. It doesn't, if you pass to him in the half court, back court, you know, at three point line, he just does a beeline right for the hoop. He has no logic once he owns the ball. Right. Uh, and that was necessary because 
when, uh, you know, prior to that, you know, he's, you know, juking and spinning and, you know, going up for jump shots wherever he wants, whenever he, when he thinks he's free, yeah. you know? And uh, so it became like this thing where they're just playing too much on their own. And uh, so now we dumped down the AI to make sure that players understood, you know, who they were. I mean, yeah, you got to make it, you know, you, you got to make it idiot proof for, for especially yeah. you're right with all the movement in the game. It kind of feels like you're playing it, it could because, yeah. you know, you just don't even know. Um, you can get lots, but to, kind of circling back to your question though. Yeah. 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 In that first test case also didn't have all the stats for the players. So I remember a couple of kids, you know, one guy picked Stockton, you know, another guy, you know, had, uh, like, you know, Shaq, and he said something like, uh, you know, don't even put it on the ground next to Stockton. He'll take it every time, you know, don't even walk by me. And I'm like, oh man, you know, these players are all the same. Like we literally had, you know, no distinction. And so that was another time where I went back to work at midnight and we, you know, we squeezed in the little, you know, uh, stats underneath each player and started the effort of going in and making, you know, steals and blocking and shots and three pointers, you know, more um, relevant uh, and having tables for each of these players. And uh, it only took, uh, you know, a week or so to implement all that stuff. But that was a key, you know, obviously uh, required thing that we learned from test. How do the NBA players feel about that being statted? that way yeah yeah well you know you always hear the stories about madden and how players you know uh <laughs> yeah you know, give grief to the madden designers but uh we just had a few you know pieces of feedback in that era not much feedback really on on the stats on but the stats. back again to answer your question about did we know <laughs> um we didn't know because we were testing it in chicago and this is at the height of the jordan era you know, this is when, you know, they're like taking over. And, you know, yeah. yeah, they, you know, beaten through the Pistons. And so um, it wasn't until we sent a test game, uh, you know, we would, we would, uh, the way the point up business works is you call these distributors, you know, maybe 20 distributors around the country. And you say, hey, how many of these new games? We got a hot new game. How many do you want? You know, you've got, you know, you've got 150 arcades and locations in your vicinity. How many do you want? And it doesn't matter if it's uh, Mortal Kombat 2 or NBA Jam or, you know, anything that seems like it would be big. Terminator 2 movie right. is going to be huge. They would always say, oh, you know what? Oh, give me one of those. I'll buy one. <laughs> and then what they do is they buy one. And they put it into, they call their favorite operator and their favorite arcade and say, hey, I got a hot new game. The guy goes, ooh, you know, Terminator or NBA Jam. Yeah, let me do it. And then uh, they look at it for a week. You know, the guy shares the numbers with the distributor. And then the distributor calls us back and says, oh, did I say one? I really meant 1,000. You know, <laughs> you only sent me one. Yeah. Said, well thousand. <laughs> and so basically what that means is that, you know, if the game isn't a hit, it's going to sell zero. You're going you're gonna to sell 50 units. Wow. And so it's all about the cash box. So he bought one, put it in an arcade in uh, Westwood, which is the UCLA, you know, kind of campus uh, in LA. And I flew out and I went into the arcade in Westwood and I watched. And in Chicago, of course, the Bulls dominated. We're making tons of money. The cash, you know, the cash doors, you know, jammed from coins. Um, but when I went into Westwood, the Lakers, you know, it was the same crowd. You know, players were there, but it was all about the Lakers. And so I remember calling back and said, well, the game's going to be a hit probably in 28 cities. But, you know, so the... Um, the game was a hit in LA. And so then I knew at that point, okay, this is, you know, the NBA, you know, is only 28 cities, but it's, it's, uh, it's got a fan base that spans the country. So NFL blitz is another uh, incredible hit. Um, and was the conversation with NFL like, Oh, do what you did for NBA jam. Do that for us. Is that, was that how it all started? 
or did we you approach the yeah no we approached the uh, oh, the, uh, the NFL now the MLB approached us to do a baseball game uh, oh, and wanted you know wanted us uh, you know wanted to make sure the same design team was doing it but um, yeah NFL Blitz '99 is actually my favorite game that I've developed uh, it is. Wow. It really has a lot of variety, a lot of fun, a lot of, you know, four player action is crazy. But um, so NFL Blitz, we started out, you know, wanting to do, you know, an NFL or a, a football game. Uh, this is when we started to geek out on 3D. Uh, we knew that the hardware was getting good enough to, uh, you know, to be able to put some stuff on the screen. There were only a few hundred polygons for these players. Right. Uh, and we uh, we only had seven on seven. So it was a reduced amount, but we knew the uh, the hardware had that performance. So we were kind of geeking out more on 3D, uh, learning the C programming language and, you know, making um, you know something new. Uh, we got the NFL license. And this is where the magic of Sal DeVita really uh, came to the forefront uh, for me. Uh, he. Um, was geeking out on mocap you know the mortal Kombat guys have now started to branch into 3d because their first couple of games were 2d mm -hmm. uh, and uh so mocap was the new hot fun thing and he started you know putting on the suit and you know uh working with the the other artists in the in the building to you know kind of calibrate things and start uh you know doing the different moves tackles and dives and you know we had mats uh, and so we just started creating all these, you know, animations. And then I took those animations and, you know, we had a great, um, you know, kind of engine to be able to, you know, make them fly at different velocities and bounce on the ground and, you know, add dust and shake the screen and yeah. you know, all the things that, um, <clears throat> you know, bring the, the magic out of the animations. And, uh, so we just had a blast, you know, making, making fun and just, you know, I just adjusted the rules with, uh, you know, being able to have multiple passes behind the line of scrimmage, you know, the on fire mode. Of course, uh, we knew that it worked so well in jam that uh, we, uh, we let uh, a wide receiver be, you know, heating up and, uh, you know, smoking and then catch on fire when, you know, we've got that extra catch and, and then you were stronger. Um, the passes, you know, would be faster with smoke on the ball, you know, when you're on fire. Uh, and so it all just kind of came together uh, really wonderfully. Uh, and I just love the, the mechanics there and, and that, that game, that style. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a hugely popular game. It's one of my favorites as well. But I read that, uh, that the NFL uh, just kind of trusted you guys and didn't review it until the <laughs> until the end. Was there yeah some, some drama there? Uh, when yeah, yeah, for out? sure. Um, so we, you know, we made this game. Uh, we uh, we had it out on location, and it was you know the number one game. It was killing it, uh, and so we knew we had another hit on our hands, and <clears throat> and it was super violent. I mean, it was. Yeah, it's like a wrestling was, game. <laughs> yeah, right. We 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 had made WrestleMania right before <laughs> right. this. So after Jam, you know, Sal and I made this WrestleMania game, and uh, so we um, the M the NFL came in and they you know we gave them a demo before we could launch the game, and uh, there are two guys and we showed them the game and and they said, can you excuse us for a moment? And they you know they stayed in the room by themselves. And uh, they came out like 10 minutes later and they said, you know, the, the NFL has to, we have to wash our hands of this game. Uh, and this was a, there was an NFL and an NFL PA guy because we had you know, both licenses. And they said, you know, we're going to give you your money back. And, you know, we just, we can't be associated with this. And, um, and we said, whoa, 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 you know, why? Uh, and they said, you know, because of the violence. And so Neil Nicastro, who was, you know, the president, CEO of the game of the company, you know, he said to me, he said, Hey, you know, do you think, uh, you know, I mean, should we, you know, is this going to succeed without the NFL? Um, you know, the violence is so important. And I said, no, I said, it won't matter. I said, we can pull the violence out of the game. It'll still be the number one game. 
And I said, it'll only take me a couple of hours to pull this violence out of the game because it's all rooted in the animations. And so I went in uh, right away and I, I told the NFL, I said, hey, we're going to take all the violence out. Uh, we're going to test it back on location, you know, this weekend. Uh, and if it still performs, then, you know, we'll, uh, we'll just move forward. And they said, okay, that's, that sounds good. Uh, and so I literally removed all of the violent animations from the game. Uh, the game was still number one, you know, that weekend. Uh, and we shipped it the next week with that updated, you know, stripped down um, violence factor. And so the funny thing is that players who play NFL Blitz, you know, if they were recollecting, they would say, oh, my God, that is so violent. It's so hard hitting. Uh, but the reality is, is that's the stripped down version. Wow. What, and, is the, uh, what did the original one have? I mean, what was the. Yeah, it had, you know, it had like, you know, face mask stuff, picking people up, you know, taunting, you know, kicking, stomping, elbow drops. Wow. You know, drops, <laughs> you know when you're down. Um, but, awesome. uh, yeah, so we, we still ended up with, um, you know, like when you change player and dive again and, you know, and pile on. Mm -hmm. So the pylons were still there. The knocking down a wide receiver who's dancing in the end zone is still there. Um, but, uh, not with as violent of animations, you know, we just had different animations. Some of these most brilliant ideas are just fun. They're just fun to do, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're playing against your friend and he scores a touchdown. Yeah. You want to tackle him, you know, right. It's, yeah, right. it's, it's just like a fun thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. He's dancing. You know, we had a lot of variety in the dancing and, you know, running toward the end zone when you're open, you know, you're like, you know, Deion Sanders, yeah, right. you know, and stuff yeah. and you're just having fun. And, uh, but then, yeah, you, uh, you go and he's celebrating, you go knock him down. You know, it's, it's fun. It's interactivity. And so eventually the in the NFL, the next, you know, year, they said, Hey, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta get, get rid of this late hit stuff. And I'm like, Oh, you know, late hits. I mean, that's like, it's so important. Yeah. And, uh, I said, how about this? I said, how about if we get rid of it, but we add a secret code that allows it but just for like one and a half seconds after a, after a play is over, like end zone line of scrimmage established one and a half seconds. And they said, okay, secret codes. Cause they knew secret codes were, you know, that was big in the heyday. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, we did that. Uh, and the secret code was like, you know, tap any button on the control panel. You know? <laughs> And uh, so we, the next iteration was still like a second and a half of interactivity time was equivalent to what we had originally, because originally the window did close down as well. Uh, and so uh, Blitz 99 continued with the mayhem. And some of the, some of the animations eventually made it into Blitz the League. Once the NFL removed the license from us, you know, a few years later, then um, Blitz the League um, you know, pulled back some of those animations. I don't know if you ever saw that game, you know. Yeah, console. absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that was really over the top with, you know, crunching bones. Yeah, for sure. And I also saw your, your name credited as a thank you, special thanks as well for, for Mortal Kombat 2, 3, and 4. Uh, what, why is that? Did you actually uh, contribute to those games? Not really. The... Um you know, it was a real competitive, you know, atmosphere in there. And, but uh, Ed Boone and I are, you know, we're good buddies and we would just lean on each other for feedback. Hey, check this out, try this. Um, you know, Ed would do VO even in, you know, our early games. Uh, and so we were just all friends and, uh, you know, secret uh, heads and, you know, do that, that kind of stuff. And so it was more of just informal, um, you know, uh, you know, giving uh, feedback. Gotcha. So after making games for almost 18 years, what was the, uh, what was the transition period like? When Midway melted down, I was in San Diego right. and then EA bought the uh, rights to the sports games, including like Slugfest and, you know, open ice, mm -hmm. uh, things that were in that, that same uh, jam uh, mold. Uh, and 
Uh, so I went to EA and I was there for just uh, short of two years. And that's when Zynga started to blow up. And the, uh, the person who had recruited me into uh, EA to begin with moved to Zynga, uh, as a lot of kind of the EA uh, people uh, did. Uh, and so I uh, moved out back to San Diego, where we started then a new studio. And I did a game. Uh, my first game was called Bubble Safari on uh, Facebook. That where you, you know, you had a monkey, you'd shoot these uh, bubbles you know, as a bubble shooter, but you can catch on fire. And, you know, it, it had, you know, all the same, you know, kind of hallmarks. And that became huge. It became the number one game on Facebook with 7 million, you know, daily players. Uh, and uh, it was a crazy time uh, in, in that whole Facebook, mobile, social gaming space. And so then I shifted um, from that, uh, you know, into other, you know, titles inside Zynga. Uh, and um, my current game is Harry Potter Puzzles and Spells, uh, which is a, a big blockbuster game uh, right now on um, mobile. Wow. Wow. That is so, it's, it's so fantastic. You have this Midas touch when it comes to these uh these games, uh, Mark, it's, it's really incredible. And in looking forward towards new games, your experience must tell you something, right? Like what's most important, sound design, uh, graphics, uh, or, or really is it, is it all about mechanics? No, for sure. It's, it's always about the mechanics. It's the moment to moment, uh, gameplay, uh, even on this Harry Potter, uh, game today. Um, you know, I spend, uh, maybe the biggest chunk of my time is actually on the gameplay engine moment to moment particle effects, the, the delays, how long it takes for the cascade to happen, how quick do things fly? You know, how big does the screen shake? Uh, and uh, so moment to moment gameplay, the feel is everything in these games and, you know, frame rate, you know, it needs to be 60 frames a second. You can't, you know, you can't, uh, you can't win if you're not, you know, responsive. Uh, and so all of my um, kind of thinking is really rooted back into that, that point out mindset, getting close to the metal, the hardware assembly language, you know, squeezing as much performance as possible. And, uh, and I learned a lot of that from, from Eugene Jarvis. Uh, Eugene would, um, uh, you know, say to me, that, uh, hey, you know, you always want to, uh, you know, get a pick up a bigger and better gun in Smash TV, you know, never let the player go backwards, you know, just keep going over, you know, just going over the top. Um, you can't be too crazy, you know, right, right. And um, with the effects and, you know, you think about Robotron and when you go in between waves in Robotron, you know, there's that that color that rainbow burst of colors, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. These concentric squares, you know, color blasting out at you. And they're all color cycling, you know, everything color cycling in those early games from Eugene. Um, and so that's, the, that's kind of how I grew up was, you know, looking at that sensory overload. Sensory overload. Yeah. What would you, what would you say, um, is something you wish you would have known at the very beginning of your career, besides, of course, who Bill Gates would become. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. What's something that you wish you maybe would have known um, and maybe done things differently? Um, well, I think that nowadays, uh, you know, these are big teams and, uh, but even back in, you know, the 90s, you had big teams and production is critical, like the production team and the way they help facilitate, you know, things getting done, um, you know, staying, you know, within, you know, time boxes and not, you know, going off the rails. Um, I wish I had um, recognized the uh, importance and the value of the production side of the business in the 90s once we got into consoles because we were still living in that coin-op world where if it wasn't a hit if it wasn't making coins you sold 50 units 
And so it didn't matter the timing. It didn't matter. You know, the only thing that mattered marketing, you couldn't, you couldn't fake anybody out. You couldn't spend TV ad money, you know, to get a sale. Um, It was all about the fun factor. But once you get to the consumer consoles, marketing does matter. Timing does matter. You know, you have to hit the nail on the head and all these things. You can have a great game. There's lots of great games that just fail on the consumer side um, because they don't get, you know, they don't come out at the right time. They don't have the, the marketing behind it. People don't discover it. Um, you know, in the old days, you know, build it and they will come, you know, was like a legitimate philosophy, wow. not, not the philosophy. So I wish I had known, recognized that. There's a lot of indie developers nowadays, tons of indie developers, a lot of retro people as well. They're trying to pull together their own pixel art and trying to build their stuff from Kickstarter or crowdfunding and things like that. Do you have any advice for those people that are starting their first game or say, hey, I want to I want to make a sports game, you know, or whatever? Um, yeah. Hey, I love it. I, I love that whole business. I love that um, that whole mindset. The advice is because you can be really talented, you can do some cool stuff, but you have to listen to uh, the player. You have to get, you have to show what you're doing to um, a broad enough, you know, kind of player base to um, uh, really understand uh, what the player wants. You can't always just trust your instincts. There's a, a category in the business now called hyper casual, right? And yeah. hyper casual, it's what you see, you know, on your phone, little, you know, pop ups, and you install and you, you know, you watch some ads. Um, you may have seen high heels. Yeah. It's a, it's a game, you know, where you're, you know, you're walking down a catwalk and you're picking up, you know, shoes to get your heels taller. Um, but this, uh, this company that develops a lot of these hyper casual games, they have a billion downloads. And so it might be something that, you know, you or I would have, you know, smirked at or shrugged off if we had seen that, you know, two years ago. Right. Um, but, um, you know, the business changes so fast and, uh, I'm sure that, um, the developer didn't realize, that uh, that game would, you know, have millions of installs and uh, resonate as well as it has. And the, the only way to, um, to find out is to start exposing your, your game, your mechanics to others as quickly as possible, um, you know, to, uh, to allow, you know, failing fast is what we call it. Fail fast. Fail fast. And, uh, so, fast, learn fast. Yeah, exactly. And so it's it's really important to to get uh, to get feedback. Uh, don't get uh, hung up on um, you know your own uh, idea. You know, proving yourself right. Um, you know, listen. So that's the, that's the advice. And it, it's tough because you know people are so passionate. They have a vision. They want to do you know X, Y, and Z. Um, but it might be that, you know, only why is the, is the thing that's going to resonate. And so you need to figure that out as quick as you can. Right. Right. Another piece of advice is, uh, is, um, to, you know, don't go wide, you know, start, start with the mechanics before you start talking about, you know, the intro scene or, you know, these other, um, layers and, you know, visuals that would go into the game, you know, make sure the mechanic is fun, you know, start with that. Do you long for that return of the arcade, uh, the coin-op games, or, or, or have we, has, has that era passed us? Yeah. Well, you know, Eugene is still killing it on, uh, on that, you know, I walk into arcades now or entertainment centers and, you know, it's all uh, raw thrills, you know? Right. So it's, it's very exciting to see what they've accomplished. Um, it's, um, you know, the licenses, you know, pinball is a good example. I mean, that stuff is here to stay. There will always be room for some of that entertainment. Um, do I long for it? You know, I, I have, I did, but honestly, 
what drives me or excites me today is when you've got uh, you know millions of players that are giving you data every single day uh, with you know what buttons they're pressing, you know how they're behaving and interacting in a game. You know the psychology. There's a lot of learning on just the psychology of, of uh, players, uh, and so I feel like I'm in an incredible spot to be learning uh, today uh, versus the coin op where you know you put it out there and you know unless you're uh, you know going to connect the internet to it and you know try to get some data, it's it's just a smaller it's a smaller you know amount. You, you can't really react to data. Uh, and so I don't long for it as much as I did maybe, you know, 10 years ago. Wow. And, and, uh, and this Harry Potter game that's coming out, is it, is it something we can download soon or is it something? No, it's out now. It's, um, it's been out, um, uh, for several months. Oh, okay. Uh, it's, um, Harry Potter puzzles and spells. It's uh, a mobile game on, you know, iOS, Android, you know, Kindle. Um, you can play it on, you know, the web as well. Uh, and it's a, um, you know, licensed, um, of course, with uh, Warner Brothers and uh, The Wizarding World. It's very exciting because it's, um, it's uh, really high quality and it is faithful to the... Uh, to the brand. We've got all the characters, all the music, wow. uh, all the films. Uh, so it's, uh, it's quite a, uh, it's quite a project, uh, that, um, you know, I couldn't be more excited about. And is there anything up and coming that maybe you could tell us about or anything in the pipeline that's, uh, no, be- nothing, uh, nothing that I can, uh, <laughs> Divulge. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's all good. I just can't thank you enough for, for hanging out with me for a little bit. And, and no, no problem. Stories. And it's just been really, really wonderful to meet the person that that has inspired me and have many, many uh, evenings of fun. Yeah, that's great. That, that means a lot. I appreciate that. Of course. Thank you so much. We'll be uh, watching you with uh, great anticipation and we'll download that Harry Potter game as well. So thank you for that. That's great. Thank you.